So I'd like you to begin by imagining that you've been stuck on a deserted island for weeks, maybe months, and all of a sudden one day you look up and there in a the distance is a boat. I would suspect that for any one of us that might be one of the happiest and most thankful days of our lives. But then what if it wasn't? Let me give you a different perspective on this. Imagine that you've been stuck in a boat for weeks, maybe months, all alone, afloat on the sea, and then all of a sudden one day you look up and you see land, and you think, I'm finally saved, I can finally get out of this boat. I'm sure that would be one of the happiest, if not one of the most thankful days of your lives. But then what if it wasn't? The point I'm trying to make is a lot of times we tend to want to grade whether things are happy or thankful based on our perspective. And oftentimes what we're taught by God is our perspective is completely wrong. And it's nothing like his perspective. All right, let me explain to you now our theme for this service and for tonight's message. Not thankful, thankful. Um, both this theme as well as the lesson that we're going to study tonight, I chose uh, more so than I ever usually do based on my life. And the reason I say that is, and it's not just recent events, but over the past couple of years, we've gone through some pretty challenging times. And to be quite honest, uh, there are moments where I really struggle to find a reason to be thankful. And you might think, well, that's strange for the pastor to say, because he's the one here encouraging us to be thankful. But I'm every bit as human as you are, and from time to time, my perspective is really off. And thanks be to God, our lesson tonight is going to help us understand that the way we see things is not at all the way that God sees things. Once upon a time, there lived a farmer with his son in a small village. He wasn't rich, but he had a horse that helped him plow his fields. His neighbors said, what a wonderful and helpful horse. He's so lucky. But the farmer only replied, Maybe. Later, while he was enjoying the sunset after a long day, his horse broke out of the stable. He hadn't locked the gate properly. Soon half the village stood in front of his fence and felt pity for him. The poor man, his only horse is gone now. What a great misfortune for him. But the farmer only mumbled softly, maybe. From now on, he had to work without the help of his horse. A few days later, he was woken up by his son in the early morning. He pointed out the window and told him the good news. His horse had returned home. But not just his one horse. His horse returned together with two wild horses. They had followed his horse from the mountains. His neighbors looked enviously at him and said, Now he has three horses. What a lucky guy. But the farmer's answer was once again, Maybe. Enthusiastic about the horses, his farmer's son wanted to learn to ride. But on the first try, the horse threw him off his back to the ground, and the young man broke his leg. Worried neighbors came to the farmer and said, What terrible luck! Who knows if he will ever be able to walk properly again? The farmer took care of his son, but only replied, Maybe. When night fell, riders could be heard coming into the village. 
They were soldiers looking for young men to send to war. All sons had to follow the military officers, except the farmer's son. He was unsuitable for the military because of his broken leg. The whole village came to the farmer and congratulated him on the fact that his son was spared the war. You are so lucky. We don't know if we'll ever see our sons again, they told him. The farmer, however, leaned against the fence and replied, Maybe. Have you ever heard this before? I've heard a couple different versions. Uh, uh, this one, uh, uh, one uh, with Native American spin to it. But I wanted to use this ancient Chinese proverb. I'm not going to try and sell you any laundry detergent or anything like that. Um, but I wanted to use this one because that's actually what we're going to study tonight is a proverb. Um, one specific proverb, and it comes from Proverbs chapter 30. Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, they may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. I chose this proverb based on this theme for tonight, and as I did and sat down to work out the fuller message, it dawned on me, it's been some time, I can't recall the last time we had a, a lesson from the book of Proverbs, so this quick review is every bit as important for me as it is for you. And it has to do with the way in which Proverbs are written. They're very short and to the point. Uh, they're to the point so they make an immediate impact on us. That's the writing style. And they're short so that we can easily remember them because these are, quite honestly, life lessons that we should carry uh, with us. Almost all the Proverbs will fall into the category that we would refer to as sanctification, and that is God's guidance for our lives of faith in order, one, to bring glory to his name, and then two, so that we live and make choices, even as we're in this broken and sinful world, but that we live and make choices so that in the end God can bless us and we enjoy the welfare in which God offers for us. The reason why this one was chosen isn't because of any overarching uh, theme that it immediately reveals to us, but kind of the way in which it fits into the whole overall book of Proverbs. Because if you read through Proverbs, and I would certainly encourage you to do so, there's 31 chapters and the first 29 are ascribed to Solomon as the author. And it makes a lot of sense. Solomon was the wisest man that God ever created for the face of this earth. And so he would certainly be able to offer us all kinds of insight and, and wise uh, a direction for our lives. But then when you get to the last two chapters of the book of Proverbs, um, all of a sudden there's a, a shift in the designation of who wrote them. Uh, you probably know chapter 31. Um, uh, it's referred to as a king. Lemuel, and some people think that's Solomon, but there's questions about that. That's the chapter that has a woman of great value. You know, you can't put a price on her, and hopefully on Mother's Day especially, uh, or maybe on your wedding anniversary, you read through Proverbs chapter 31. Uh, reminds us of what a great gift our wives, our mothers are. And then there's this chapter, 30, and these are the opening verses, what come right before our lesson. And this is ascribed to a man by the name of Agar. And there are scholars who believe that this is just a pen name for Solomon. They believe that same thing with chapter 31. Um, but I, I personally question that. Because if you read through these opening verses, uh, I am the most ignorant of men. I do not have man's understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. 
That doesn't quite fit with Solomon. I get the part where Solomon, even the wisest man to have lived, does not uh, have the wisdom of God. There's no human being that in any way, shape, or form could ever measure up to knowing things the way God knows them. But that first description, uh, Solomon does have man's understanding, not only because of the gift of wisdom that God gave to him, but because of his life experience. And when you look at all of the books that Solomon wrote, he takes us through this amazing progression, not only of his life as a man, but as his life as a child of God. And it's an up and down journey, uh, very much like the rest of us have lived. So if I'm honest with you, we have absolutely no idea who this Agar is. There's no biblical information. There's not really any historical information as to who this might be, which begs the question, and why do we find sections in Scripture like this where God simply doesn't tell us who he chose to write it? There's a couple simple answers. Uh, one is this, is when God doesn't identify the author, it really opens up the door for us to place ourselves within the storyline. Uh, there's other sections of scripture and books of the Bible where we're not so focused on, well, who wrote it? When did they write it? What was the occasion in which they wrote it? And it kind of compels us just to jump right into what they wrote. And that's the other reason why oftentimes you'll find uh, sections where God doesn't identify the author. And if you look at the last verses that come right before our lesson, every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. Quite honestly, without knowing who the author is, it forces us to focus on what is written. And here, it's been described for us as the truth of God's word, and that becomes then the basis for our study tonight, and hopefully an opportunity for us, especially if we struggle to be thankful at times in our lives, to flip the switch and, and give thanks. All right, now let me tell you why I chose this theme. And again, being just raw honest with you, I, I've gone through moments of not actually being all that grateful to God. Um, not so much recently, but over the last couple of years. Uh, just let me tell you my line of thought. I am not thankful for the coronavirus. Uh, don't get me wrong, I'm glad we're at where we're at with it. Uh, the, I think the worst is behind us. Uh, and a lot of medical science has been useful, not all of it, but much of it has proven good systems for us to deal with this new malady that we face in life. But to be quite honest, I still can't quite figure out what God's been up to with this virus. Um, and part of the reason why I chose this lesson for tonight and this theme is uh, because I still remember two years ago, and it was uh, the first Thanksgiving service we could have in the coronavirus era um, after the lockdown was over. And uh, for the last couple of years, we've been switching back and forth between campuses so we can give thanks to God. Tonight, this is our first co-Thanksgiving services both here and in Cottage Grove. But I still recall that service. There were seven of us there, and that included me, and that included the guy in the AV booth. So there were five worshipers. And I know it's not the numbers that matter. That's not how we measure God's growth. But I think that's going to stick with me for a very long time. Um, my point is, is the coronavirus has done things to the visible church, which I don't think we've recovered from yet. And honestly, I'm not quite sure we will. And, and I know I need to give thanks for that because God's got a good plan in that. Um, I'm just not seeing it just yet. I am not thankful that we're uh, on the doorstep of winter, and this last weekend was a good reminder. And if you ever stood at the door as I greeted you and let you in and hear me moan and groan about it being winter, I usually have this line, I don't mind so much the snow. I, I got a nice ATV with a plow on, and it's kind of fun to putt out in the driveway. But the cold, the older I get, 
the more I hate the cold. And I get why there's snowbirds, because you feel it deep down into your bones. So if I'm being honest with you, I'm not thankful that we're um, bumping up against winter. Uh, here's another one. I'm not thankful that the Packers suck so much this year. <laughs> uh, I, I think what is happening is we've been shown that we've taken for granted a, a lot of great teams over the years, but come on, four and seven? And what really baffles the mind that of all of the NFL, the Packers are God's most favorite team. So why on earth would God be letting them go through that and their fans as well? And I'm a little tongue-in-cheek, but I tell you what, this football season has just left me wanting. I'm also not thankful for when the people I love face challenges and hurt. And I'm talking both about my personal family as, as well as my church family. And, and sometimes it feels, I, I think you know that if you have kids, when a parent has a sick child, when a parent has a child that's going through struggles, I, I'm sure every single one of us would gladly make a deal to trade places with them. Because sometimes it feels like there's not much you can do. And, and I have the joy of reminding people with God's word that he's there for them. And I know God says and promises he will take whatever challenges we face in this life and use them for our good. He, he, he makes us a promise, and I know he must keep it because of the nature of God. But quite honestly, there are times when I just can't see it. So much like I'm sure you have those moments in time, please understand I also have those moments in time when, if I'm being honest, I'm just not thankful. And I recognize that what I really need isn't for God to explain himself to me and say, Krause, I'm doing A, B, C, and D, so just shut up and hang on for the ride. What I really need is just a change in perspective and to recognize the way I see things are not the way that God sees things. Thus, this proverb. Two things I ask of you, O Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. I've highlighted the two verbs because there's a transition. The first one, he's genuinely asking God for something. It's in a simple verb form, and it's like him simply saying, please, God, would you give this to me? When we get to this keep these falsehoods far from me, it shifts to a command. He's that serious about it. And we don't have any business ordering God around, but it's a way to impress not only on God, but ourselves. This is something I desperately need. And what he's begging for, please God, put some distance between me and these things that I know that will do me harm. And maybe the best analogy is what we parents do with our children, how we try to protect them from harmful things, or, or we teach them about stranger danger. If some stranger comes up to you and says, I've got some candy, do you want to jump in the car? Uh, we've taught them. You, you shout out loud, you run away screaming or whatever, because you know if you don't put distance between you and that dangerous situation, it is going to end badly. That's what the author, this unknown author to us, is asking for. Well, the first request makes a lot of sense. I don't know of many things that can do as much damage as lies. And he's saying, keep lies from coming out of my mouth, as well as keep lies from going into my ears. Don't let me deceive people, but don't let me be deceived. And I don't know if you have one of those personalities where uh, you're more gullible than maybe somebody else and you've been tricked or deceived or duped, but there's few things in this life that will rip your heart out the way that a lie will do it. Because you counted on something, you believed in something, and only to come and find it's false. It, it just breaks our heart. So I get why the 
the man that wrote this proverb is saying, God, I, I need you to protect me from these things. The other one we've got to do a little bit more work with. Uh, don't make me too rich and, and don't make me too poor. And as I'm working through this, I'm going, well, well why not? I, okay, I get the poor part. Nobody wants to be poor. But the rich part? Who wouldn't want to win the lottery? Especially the big one, the billions of dollars. Okay, because, uh, you know, if one of us won that, I would suspect that if you have a home mortgage, you could pay that sucker right off. Any outstanding bills, they'd be gone. And maybe you were feeling especially generous and go, Pastor, I want to pay off the mortgage up at the church in Cottage Grove. I go, well, come on in. And then you might say, you know what? God's blessed me so much and I got so much extra money. Let's buy some land and build a church down in Fort Two. How can that be such a bad thing? thing. Why is this guy asking for distance from that? Well, maybe you're well aware of people who won the lottery, and there's story after story after story of how they are so worse off than if they had never won the thing in the first place. Of course, the problem is they don't know how to handle that much money. But there's a much deeper, more insidious problem. It actually gets down to the root cause of why this man is asking for these things. Because if he has too much or if he has too little, it's going to change his perspective and his relationship with God. So what he says is, what I want from you, Lord, is my daily bread. You're all familiar with that? We pray it in the Lord's Prayer. If you remember your catechism days, that's the fourth petition. And if you remember your catechetical studies, you're not just talking about food. Luther goes on to list off all kinds of things besides food and drink, clothing, shoes, house, home, land, animals, money, goods, devout husband, wife, devout children, devout workers, devout faith. You see all the things that we need, not just to be successful and blessed in this life, but this man who wrote the Proverbs recognizes there's kind of a balance. There's a middle of the road. And the more I study scriptures, the more I come to recognize that's really how God created and designed us, is to have everything in balance. And what sin has done is it's come into this world and come into our lives, and it throws everything out of balance. God has us right on that center of the road. That's where our blessings are meant to be. But when we go too far in one extreme or the other, that's when we have problems including when God allows things like these to come into our lives. We don't always understand why. We don't have the wisdom of God. We don't have the insight that God has. We can't see all the hundreds, if not thousands, of little dots that the Lord connects for us to actually use these kind of things to bless us. Because when we're in the moment, when our perspective is just what's happening to us right here and right now, we're unable to take that step back and objectively go, God, you are all wise, you are all loving, you see things that I can't see. And it isn't just a one-time event or maybe like this annual thing or, or like a football season that comes and goes. It's every single day. So if you understand the proverb, what the man is really praying for is, God, give me not just perspective, but give me your perspective.
everything today. As important as all God's responses were, the ones that caught my eye were, as God explained things, the responses of the, the person and the other side of that conversation, humbled, ashamed, and, and, and sorry. So as I think to myself about the things that I believe I have reasons to not be thankful for, I'm humbled because as God gives me insight and perspective, and one of the things I find, one of the blessings of age is that you have more of an ability to look back and see things from a much different 2020 perspective, things that I challenged God on, things that I questioned God about, things that I even shook my fist at God for. Now in hindsight, I'm beginning to see the wisdom of God in allowing them to come into my life, oftentimes simply preparing me for future days. And so that's why the man in the Proverbs says, you know what, Lord, if you don't do these things for me, I've got one of two options. If you give me too much or too little, I'm going to go one of two ways. If it's too much, I'm going to forget who you are. Because after a while, if you're self-sufficient, if you've got more money than you know what to do with, and you can buy whatever you want, how long does it take before you forget that your actual provider is God himself? I think even for those of us who wouldn't consider ourselves rich, when things are going well, when life is good, that's when we tend to forget about God the most. And the interesting thing is, is the author uses the covenant name of God, Yahweh, and so if I forget God in my daily life, how much before I forget God in my spiritual life? And that's the beauty of the name Yahweh. It's the reminder that we are sinners who desperately need saving. And only God can do that for us. The other option is too poor. And I think God's not providing for my needs, so I'm going to take matters into my own hand. I'm going to steal. I'm going to take from others what I think I need in order to survive and in my own mind, thrive. And again, what that does is it robs my life of the value of God's name. It means I'm not trusting God. It means I don't think God loves me or God cares for me. And this is the God who sent his son to save me. He's going to take care of my soul, and I'm going to doubt that he's unable to take care of my life. The problem is, is that we end up breaking the greatest of all God's commands is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. What we do is chisel out an idol in our own image. Because if I can't count on God, or if I don't need God, that only leaves one option. Me. You might think, okay, I get it. You are recalling things from your own life, or you maybe were less than thankful. But none of you all have that problem ever, do you? Or do you? Kind of a hot day, you oh, think? Yeah. So hot! Oh. Woo! What? Like three months and no rain is called uh, a drought, right? That's what I'm saying. Oh, now, what are we doing out here? Oh, okay, guys. I, I just thought we should meet and pray for rain. Oh, that's a great idea. Okay? Oh, yeah. I mean, it can't oh, hurt. Hey, right. come on. So, get on with it, man. Okay, so uh, join hands. Uh, okay. Prayer works better that way. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, I got air conditioning All right. here. All right, uh, dear God, oh, Lord. God. Lord. you could just please make it rain. Oh, yes. please. And please. bring something cold to drink. Yeah. Oh, like yes. water. Remember Noah. Because it's so hot. Yes, yes, it is water, hot. please. Amen. Uh, amen. I think that went well. Amen. Uh, uh, <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. I pitted out a perfectly good trip for a 10-second prayer. Uh, Thanks for coming out. Okay. I'll, I'll see you at the Bible study, Drew. I'm out of here. Okay. Uh, what are you doing? Oh, waiting for the rain. <laughs> Laura... Uh, take, take a look up there. I want you to see that 
there's just a blue sky with right. no clouds. I think that means no rain. Right. Remember, we just prayed about this. So. Oh, I know. We just prayed for rain. So, you know, the clouds are going to come and then it's going to rain and you're going to get wet. Are you new to this whole praying thing? Oh, no. No, no, no. <laughs> well, let me explain this to you. Um, I wouldn't be counting on the rain. Oh, well, maybe it's not the rain you should be counting on. And that's the problem. I mean, I don't know how many times I've prayed, and maybe it's not for rain. And I was thinking it'd be a little colder, so a hot weather video would be good, but it's nice weather out. I don't know how many times I've prayed, and I honestly walked away like the guy, not expecting God to answer, at least not to answer the way I wanted him to, not fully expecting God to answer in the best possible way, both according to his promise and according to his nature. How often are we, how often am I counting on the wrong things, everything that's not God? And so why I chose this proverb as our lesson and why I chose this theme is because working through it compelled me to have a change of perspective. I am grateful to God. I am thankful that he's neither made me too rich or too poor. I'm thankful for God that he gives me my daily bread, including all of the things in the explanation of the fourth petition, things that I tend to take for granted every single day of my life. And yet if God withdrew his gracious hand, they would be gone in a heartbeat. I am grateful for the saving name of God. You know, of the 8 billion, we've crossed that mark now, 8 billion people who exist on this planet, God has chosen you and me to be amongst the people to hear and know his truth. And if that were not enough, God says, I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to put this truth into your hands to share with other people. And that means so much because we have a lot of people we love that we want to see in eternity not just in this life. And we have the one thing, the one thing that can not only change their earthly perspective, but their eternal perspective as well. And I'll say it, I'm even thankful for these things, the things that prompted this choice of theme and this choice of lesson. And while I don't understand why many of them happen, I do understand the God who lets them happen because he sees my life in each of these things so differently than I do. And I give him thanks and praise that he has promised to use everything, even this stuff, for my earthly and my eternal good. My problem, and one of the reasons why my perspective has been out of skew, is because I want God to try and tell me how this stuff is supposed to work out. And God says, it doesn't work that way. Here's a shovel, here's a hoe, go get to work, you let me take care of the outcome. Jesus says, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. He knows not how. That's us. We don't know how God turns a deadly pandemic into eternal life. Just when we think that certain events are lining up like a code to be deciphered, 
we find that God is doing a thousand unseen things that may ultimately give those same events a totally different meaning. God's providence is not a code to be deciphered. It is a plan to be trusted. God does what he does and the way he does it to keep us from thinking that somehow we control the harvest. God chose things that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. We plant, we water, we serve in the strength that God supplies faithfully, prayerfully, sacrificially. But it is God alone who works the miracle of giving life. Our boast is only and forever in his kind and purposeful sovereignty. And so in this season of trial and change, we labor on and we thank God for the precious partnership of sowing the seed together with you. Our prayer is that God will find us faithful as he graciously and providentially works all things for the praise of his glory and the good of his people.